recorded during the Plague Year 2020. This is the Andromeda Minute, a show where each and every day, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, we go over one minute of the all-too-timely Robert Wise-directed techno-thriller, The Andromeda Strain, one minute of screen time per episode. I'm one of your hosts, Jim O'Kane of TVDads.com. And I am this week's guest host, Brian Fees. I'm a graphic novelist whose most recent book is A Fire Story. Uh, I was also a physics major, and for about 13 years I was a working chemist, so some of that may or may not uh, turn out to be relevant. Did uh, did you ever have to do any chemistry with pistachio ice cream? Because that seems to be a major part of this minute. You know, I did with uh, chewing gum once, but no, not pistachio ice cream. Really? What, uh, the science of, uh, of chewing gum. Fascinating. Well, we just had to analyze it and make sure that there wasn't anything deadly poisonous in it, yes. Always a good idea, you know. <laughs> The, the legendary Beeman's tragedy of 1938 was uh, <laughs> never to be forgotten. Uh, uh, well, this is uh, this sh- we are we are once again looking at a big copper mesh screen, and uh, we're, we keep zooming in and and zooming in and enhancing and things, and watching a rock get ever so much bigger and bigger until we can see uh, green patches all over it. Which uh, paint ice cream could be? We don't know. Yeah, it's uh, it's very very odd and. Uh, this reminds me, um, you may have, I would think you may have read this uh, f- famous Asimov story, which was originally titled Green Patches, but I think John W. Campbell renamed it Mishbe- Misbegotten Missionary. I don't know if you... You'll have to remind me. I read a okay. lot. Well, what uh, what Asimov's story was about was uh, there was a, a planet similar to the Borg uh, kind of a lifestyle. Everything was connected. Everything was unified. And uh, every animal on the planet, every uh, plant, every bit of flora and fauna was connected by these uh, green patches that had connected everyone on the planet. And uh, they would uh, seed other planets by having any astronauts that land on them. They would infect them with a green patch and they would become part of their unified mind. So uh, they had a they had a problem. The several uh, Earth-based Astronauts had landed and blown up, and they hadn't been able to uh, acquire them. So uh, the the last crew that uh, landed, uh, they had worn spacesuits and wouldn't allow, you know, it wouldn't let anything near them, uh, because they realized the entire planet was somehow trying to take over the, their ship. Hmm. So uh, the the green patches had decided they would become a, uh, they, they would make themselves look like a wire, and they would sneak on board the ship and uh, replace a piece of wiring in the circuitry. Uh, and then, you know, as soon as, as, soon as the uh, ship gate got back to Earth, the doors would open and this, this wire full of green patches would infect, you know, similar to the Andromeda strain, it would infect everybody on Earth and make them part of the collective. Uh, unfortunately, the wire that it decided to take over was the high voltage wire that was the door open button. So when, <laughs> when they pressed the door open button, they just found a... a, a piece of burned charcoal in the in the circuitry and say well we're going to have to open it manually and uh that was a great little uh, asimov told the story much better than i just did uh, but it was it, it, you may find it under the under the title green patches or on any kind of astounding magazine collection as misbegotten missionary i have never read that story uh, worth worth a look it's probably on me. google somewhere new to me um but uh, that that's that was my impression i i think i read it about about the time this movie came out, so this was very much on my mind when I saw this. I could see how they would link up in your head, yes. Yeah, um, 
but they are uh, mostly discussing what what it might be. It could be paint, could be pistachio ice cream. I am not a pistachio ice cream aficionado. I usually head toward uh, chocolate chip cookie. Do you have a do you have a particular uh, inclination when you're ordering at a Baskin Robbins or whatever? This minute is taking a, uh, a startling turn. <laughs> My favorite Baskin Robbins flavor is chocolate mousse royale. It's a, it's a basically a chocolate chip cookie uh, or not cookie chocolate chip ice cream. But I think it's like an extra dark chocolate or something like that. It's, it's delicious, and they don't have it all the time. Um, but yeah, I, I like. I also like the fruity flavors of ice cream. You know, your strawberries and such. That's fine with me. Yeah, I'm big on. A, I'm big on strawberry. Like my milkshake tastes wander toward uh, strawberry milkshakes. I do enjoy the. I enjoy the texture of the the pieces of strawberry in it. But uh, mm. yeah, not not much of a not much of a pistachio guy. I, I'm not. I mean, I'll eat pistachios, but I'm not. I'm more of a pecan walnut. Uh, line of well of all nuts. i can say it's it's a good thing there are no actual pistachios aboard this spacecraft yes <laughs> yes this would have really messed up the uh, uh the science wouldn't that be something we went 50 million miles out space came back with pistachios go figure <laughs> could yes it could ruin the economy of turkey in no time you know just uh <laughs> wow uh so uh we are yeah it it's uh it's interesting that they're that they're dropping all these uh, hints of what it may be. You know, it could be anything. It could be, I, I think, uh, well, it it, yeah. it is it is. You know, you, you kind of you have to throw throw out anything it could be, but uh, Levitt is not buying. You know, Stone wants him, Stone wants her to be more skeptical, but Levitt's like, well, we didn't see anything green in the spaceship. Well, what struck me here um, about the difference between Levitt and Stone is is they both reflect two different facets of of um, necessary but sometimes conflicting approaches to discovery. Uh, Levitt is making these you know intuitive, imaginative leaps, and Stone is is counseling you no know, methodology and restraint. We'll do this by the book, and you know science does them both. And I don't remember if this discussion comes straight from the book, but in any case, it's a neat neat bit of storytelling that sort of reflects these two necessary um complementary and occasionally conflicting approaches to discovering new things you need to make the big leaps but you need to be very 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 careful while you're making those leaps to do it right oh for sure yeah and occam's razor plays a big a big part of this that you have to say it's not you know the uh, the horses not zebra theory of medicine that you're you could be looking at something that it it's scraped off of the side of a wire it's scraped you know this this might be green that just happens to be from an earth-based thing that we didn't realize was on board the ship. Absolutely. Uh, and you know, this is a this is a terrific example actually of of the actual um, discussions that happen when let's say for example, you know, we send a probe to Mars and we see signs of life. Well, the first thing they ask is, did we bring it with us? You know, yeah. did, did this this apparent sign of life um, is it from Earth? Is it contamination on the spacecraft? Is it some weird chemistry that mimics the effects of life? I mean, I remember this with the Viking, um, with the Viking uh, missions in the 70s, and I th- they found something. And as I recall, it turned out to be something like a, a permanganate reaction or something, most likely. But um, uh, you know, y- y- you've got to be very careful. If if you were in this lab looking at these green blotches, I think you'd have exactly the discussion that Levin Stone are having in this in this scene. Yeah, I, I can recall speaking of that same mission, the Viking mission. The first pictures coming back as they colorized them, as they they started taking the properties of the, uh, they had a 
a standard color wheel that that went along with the with the camera that they would take through different they would take pictures through different filters and when they put the pictures together lo and behold the first picture that came back it had a blue sky blue and sky, they were yeah. and they were just amazed by that and what it was was there was a there was a problem when it was reading the yellow filter and it gave the wrong values for the yellow filter and of course yellow is minus cyan so it, it you know to adjust it it went the wrong way and, and it turned the sky blue and once they once they figured out that the problem was the yellow uh, version of the picture was wrong and they fixed that well the sky turned its normal orange red that we're, we're now familiar with on the uh, on the martian sky um but you know it's just it's little things like that that you have to be extremely skeptical and you know stone is right that you have to uh you have to wonder about that and uh the only uh, he he does the wrong thing after he explains that you need to be skeptical by uh, by explaining to Levitt that uh, she needs to use computer number one and then rather dismissively taps her on the head. Oh, that was my note for this minute. I've got a big yeah. star on this note. He yeah. is so patronizing to her. Uh, it's presumably a colleague, and you know, an equal, someone he respects. He's treat he's talking to her like a child. He, you know, yeah, thanks, jerk. I mean. Uh, I'm surprised that uh, Levitt wouldn't just bite his head off for that. Yeah, she. I mean, the the look that she gives him after he does that, it looked like you could see almost the uh, Wiley Coyote uh, blueprint diagram for building a phaser that she was going to blow his head off with. <laughs> well, and, I like the look. I, I mean, I, yeah. I said in the last minute, she's she's probably my favorite character in the movie, and and I just saw that and cringed and had to wonder. Um, is this is this Stone being a jerk? Is this 1970s sexism that nobody would have thought twice about when they're watching this movie in the theater? You know, wh- where did that come from? Um, and I, they're, I get it. They're making the point that, you know, we're surrounded by all this incredible, at the time, high tech. Uh, we're in this five levels down in this super sterile environment, but nothing beats the power of the human brain. Great, great point. You don't have to be a jerk when you're making that point. Yeah, exactly. But it, it, all through this movie, you get the feeling that Stone is a bit of a jerk. Especially, I mean, they all have their they all have their own spectrum of jerkiness. Uh, but he Stone is used to being in charge of things. He's the you know he's the alpha dog. He's the he's the leader of this. Pro- this is his baby. Wildfire is everything that he was planning on doing, and even though he's got dirty hand like he doesn't want to admit the dirty hands that he has on this program that it, it apparently is some kind of bio warfare um adjunct and he he likes being in charge and his lack of ability to um be you know he he kind of he manages rather than leads and yeah that's a good distinction i like that it's uh I, I think that's that's his failure in in this in this thing, which is I mean it's it's a great thing to bring up. None of you know, it's the tendency here would make all these people superheroes, and they're not. Just having that human foible that he is um, a bit of a jerk, and uh, you know showing the human side of it of having Levitt react to him like, look, I you know <laughs> my my opinions are valid too. I'm telling you, we need to look at this more. Yeah. And even though he tells her, you know, use computer number one, uh, he he accepts her idea that they really have to pay. This is the thing that they should be paying attention to. And it's not just a rock that, you know, a stone that they found inside the um, the, the ship. 
it's uh, true enough. Yeah, hey, you know, I I was fortunate enough to be a guest uh, very much earlier in this film, and we talked then about the idea of of the Andromeda Strain as competence porn. Yeah. Uh, about um, ordinary but very skilled and educated people all working at their best to solve a problem. And they come at it from different directions with their different personalities, with their strengths and their weaknesses. But but the bottom line is uh, these are all the best people in the world working together to, to, to understand something, to fix something. And um, I just love that kind of film. Yeah, it, it really is. I mean, it's it's nice thinking about that we do have competent people doing stuff. One of the, uh, just segueing here to uh, your current work, your, your, your currently published uh, uh, book, A Fire Story, which talks about the, uh, the Tubbs fire of several years ago. Uh, that's, I don't want to say competence porn, but you show a lot of competence in uh, your book about the kind of emergency, much like this Project Wildfire is doing, you, you had to have a lot of people uh, doing um, an emergency response of moving people and saving their lives within a very limited amount of time, one of whom which was, was your wife who, uh, who had to manage getting people where they needed to be and uh, you know, after they've lost everything, and yeah, she had too. Yeah, my wife is the most competent person I know. But, you know, I, I hadn't thought about this, and we didn't discuss it ahead of time, but um, there are a lot of parallels between this, the story of this film and sort of what I learned in the experience of my, my home burning down in 2017, which is when the story starts, there's confusion and chaos, and nobody knows what's going on. And you know, people are trying. People are trying to pry open a spacecraft in the dentist's office, in the or whatever, in the, you know, the old town. And and army guys are flying in, and they're pulling out their binders because they never dealt with the situation before. It was like that in real life. Um, firefighters didn't know where the fire was. Uh, elected officials are literally pulling dusty binders off the shelf to say, "All right, well, on page 42, we've got a fire protocol. Let's see what it says." Um, and sometimes those things are useful and helpful. Sometimes they're not. Just like in the Andromeda Strain, people had to um, had to pull the binders off the shelf, but also be flexible enough to um, to wing it, to wing it intelligently. And as my life story went on, and as this movie went on, we encounter more and more people who are more and more competent, um, who get a better handle on the situation. Yeah, and, and sometimes you have to make a U-turn and do something completely different from what the plan was, which, you know, in this in this one we're getting up to, a, I mean, we're getting a little bit ahead, but, I mean, the, the, the plan was if things got really bad, you could blow it up with a nuclear device, but not realizing that that may be one of the worst things you could do. Um, so, you know, it, it's being being flexible and being able to outthink the disaster is, you know, was, was a constant worry. And, and also the idea of fatigue. I mean, I, I know... Mm-hmm. Gosh, the you know the California fires every year. The the number one story that comes out of it is the fatigue that you have people that are fighting. You know, like they've been forty days fighting fires, and there's just no, they they've got nothing left to give. But the fire, you know, the fire's still raging, and you've got to get more people out there to to do stuff. So I think you know picking up on the on the fatigue aspect of of pro- problem solving is very exhausting. Uh, so, uh, what well, makes think, Levitt and Stone look like real wimps that they're this tired after five hours? Come yeah. on, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah no, but, they haven't solved the problem in three days. You know. <laughs> well, we we uh, we touched on this in the last minute too, but um, the fatigue. I, I love the way they show the fatigue. I love the way the filmmaking, the story making, reinforces that fatigue with with this uh, 
screeching discordant unpleasant soundtrack of uh, let's call it music um, that that the, the pace begins to quicken as we you know increase our magnification to 80 uh, we it, the, the soundtrack is thrumming like a heartbeat that's going faster and faster as we zoom in on this thing um, I, I have I've always loved Robert Wise's movies and I think um, you know this is a scene that's not certainly not flashy uh, it may be a little slow by 21st century standards, but it's really a nice piece of filmic storytelling. Yeah, yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, the, the the last image where they go to 80 80 power uh, magnification, and you're just seeing uh, the the loft uh, the loft and wane of a uh, of the uh, the I guess it's car I guess it's copper. I don't know what it. Whatever yeah, we've that, been calling it measures. copper. We'll stick with that. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and just seeing you know little pieces of of this green goo that's all over things uh while the while the music is throbbing away and it, it's very the the music is full of dread because you're not you know what are we what are we looking at here and how bad is that thing and what are, what are we if that's the thing how are we going to fight something that tiny that seems to be able to kill by the town load yeah and um, you juxtapose those stakes with these you know kind of ordinary looking people in a just quietly going about doing their job that's what's going to solve this problem is people sitting in behind a computer terminal, pushing buttons, doing their jobs. And also yeah, I, later racing around and get shot by lasers. But that's a different, you know, that's another minute. Yeah. And, and, and you know, they're saying when, you know, the, the situation that they find themselves in, it, it's much like um, I, I think of the, the Trinity Project with building the, the, the first atomic bomb is that they don't have anybody to ask they are the smart people in the room these are the these are the people that that other people would call and say what do you think about this what do you know so their their reference sites they they are the you know the first and last offense against whatever this thing is yeah and uh just kind of if you can if you put yourself in that situation you're like well do i have the uh uh, uh there's there's a great i i i i, I think i i reference uh the dark knight a lot to uh, more more than i i should but there's a there's a great scene in the uh in the batman series the dark knight um where uh there's a scene of uh, superman has to stop a and a, a missile that has a nuclear warhead on it and uh they show this little dot in the sky grabbing mm-hmm. grabbing onto this missile and it, the thought bubble that's over superman's head is 50 million die for 50 million die by fire if I am weak. And I keep thinking that's what that that's what's going through these people's heads the whole time they're looking at this. If we trip up, if we do anything wrong, 50 million people, you know, billions will die because we couldn't fi- we couldn't be smart enough. It's it's funny you say that because while we were talking earlier, I was I was reflecting on a uh, another Batman Superman story called Kingdom Come. Uh, in, in which a similar situation where Superman needs Batman's help to stop a disaster. And he says, some, I don't have it in front of me, but he says something to Batman like, you know, I'm two seconds ahead of this thing and I don't know if that's going to be good enough. Um, he's begging Batman for help and Batman gives him the information he needs to, uh, you know, go save some lives. But I love that idea and I, it, what, it's that, you know, I'm two seconds ahead and I don't know if that's good enough that I think drives a lot of the Andromeda strain drama too is we are just barely keeping ahead of this thing yeah and it could turn on us at any second and it, it's amazing that you can watch this you can kind of be on the edge of your seat just just looking at a at a monitor staring at a, a copper mesh 
uh, but it still it it holds your interest, and you wonder what they're going to find out next. So yeah, I that's love it. The, the genius of Robert, uh, Robert Wise and the genius of Michael Crichton being able to tell a story like this. Wow. Well, uh, we were, we mentioned a little bit about a fire story. Let's let's talk about that. You have a, a new version of a fire story coming out shortly. Oh, bless you, Jim. <laughs> yes, uh, fire story is is my true retelling in graphic novel form of of my house and six other six thousand other houses uh, being destroyed in October 2017 in Northern California, and uh, that book came out last spring. Not last spring. No, last fall. Fall of 2019. In any case, it came out last year, and uh, we will be coming out with a new paperback version of that story. It was supposed to come out uh, fall of 2020. COVID pushed it back to spring of 2021. It'll be paperback. It'll have 32 new pages of content that will sort of bring the story up to date, what happened after the events of the original fire story. So it'll talk about uh, rebuilding our home. Uh, that decision. It'll talk about, uh, you know, insurance and all just the mind-numbing, horrifying things you've got to go through after your house has been destroyed. And uh, it'll uh, take us right up to our house and neighborhood and city being threatened by yet another fire in uh, in 2019. So uh, that'll be the new version of a fire story, new edition coming out next spring. And you've got the current edition is, is still in print. It's out. The, the first printing is out there at uh, online on Amazon or, or Barnes and Noble or at your local bookstore, which is always a great place to start looking for any books. I always tell people go visit your go support your heroic local independent bookseller because they really are, uh, you know, doing civilization's work there. But if you can't find it, you can find it on Amazon. Yep. Wow. Well, uh, let's let's uh, hold off on talking some more, but we're going to talk some more science stuff uh, on Friday and finish up the week. Uh, in the meantime, please, while you're waiting for Friday to roll around, uh, do the three things I always talk about that will help us get rid of this plague as soon as possible. Uh, wash your hands, stay six feet apart from people, and please wear a mask. Oh, masks are great. My wife just made me two of them. They're very, I feel very comfortable. I feel very safe now wearing a, wearing a mask going out, knowing uh, my wife made these nice masks for me. Um, anyway, we will return on Friday. Uh, and so I hope to see you next time here on the Andromeda Minute. Very flattering. We don't know much more than when we got here.